welcome to the 70th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm happy to report it's been another week of relative calm for every automaker not named after a Serbian-American electrical engineer and physicist. Um, I usually take this opening segment to discuss some sort of anecdote or gripe I have with something going on right now, but honestly, it's been just such a bog-standard, boring August that I'm, I'm struggling for content to put here. I'm sure there'll be a few comments on uh, British electrics and mid-90s rubber quality once I start to work on tearing my motorcycle apart and get that ready for sale, but it's been so hot that uh, my time has been consumed with getting the inside of the house ready for guests and babies, um, both of whom do not tend to want to do any work themselves when in my care. Uh, in fact, I'm not really sure there's anything constructive that babies do do uh, besides reassure you of your own vanity. Um, I suppose the the most exciting automotive thing to happen recently was the addition of some OEM roof bars to my GTI, which I purchased from a man on eBay without any feedback rating, because of course... I also like to live dangerously. Uh, turns out the guy was fine and, and the bars fit great and everything's fine. It's very exciting. Uh, maybe I'll witness an oil tanker explode next week and I can rail against Exxon for messing up my commute. We'll see. Here's your top story. Our top story last week concerned Tesla CEO Elon Musk's tweet about taking the company private, and my assessment was that it would solve all of the company's problems. Um, I should have qualified that a little bit in that it would solve all of the problems except the one sitting in the company's fanciest, most expensive chair, Elon himself. While it's a great move for him to continue to exert more control over the company that he founded, his control is pretty much the last thing the company needs to be successful, especially right now, uh, which makes it all the more strange that he gave a long, winding interview to the New York Times this week where he was described as both laughing and crying, and where he invited anyone to take over the company if they thought they were better suited to do the job. Well, Let's just review the qualifications for how some other CEO might do something different then. Uh, first, another CEO probably wouldn't work 120 hours a week neglecting his kids and setting an unhealthy and unreasonable example for the working environment for his colleagues. Uh, they probably shouldn't take Ambien in order to fall asleep or go on drug-induced social media rants as some of the investors and board members suspect he's doing instead of sleeping. Second, uh, a replacement CEO might consider consulting board members, attorneys, accountants, or any other department before casually tweeting out a threat to buy out the company, which Musk did to the shock of his board of directors and the displeasure of shareholders and the SEC. Um, not only has the company been subpoenaed for information related to the claims made in the tweet, uh, there have also now been four lawsuits seeking class action status against Musk and Tesla because of the instability rocking the company's stock price in the wake of the tweet. 
As it turns out, uh, when you tweet out financially relevant information saying, quote, funding secured, end quote, uh, you actually really must have your funding secured instead of only having some vague interest from a shady Saudi fund that, according to multiple reports, is not capable of financing the funding that you are meant to have secured. Um Finally, another CEO might focus less on investors short-selling your stock and, and more on the actual vehicles being produced to ensure that the company is succeeding and fulfilling the promises the CEO sets for it. CNBC reports this week that um, Model 3 production is humming right along at more than 5,000 units per week, which is the benchmark Musk set for the company. But Car Scoops also reported t- uh, today, actually, that a $78,000 Model 3 was sent to a buyer kitted with three white door trim panels and one brown one. It seems unlikely that the buyer would have specified something like that, and for nearly eighty grand, you might hope that a company could look at its fin- finished product and ensure that all the boxes were ticked before shipping it off to a buyer. I mean, there were multiple occasions during the production and delivery process where this problem might have been spotted but wasn't. And a CEO should make it a top priority to ensure that quality control on luxury vehicles is a little higher than that. And at $80,000, that is a luxury vehicle. So the invitation stands. Uh, If you think you can do a better job than Elon Musk, he'll hand you the keys himself. Unless, of course, it turns out uh, this is just another one of those promises that he comes up a bit short on. Tesla isn't the only electric car company in the news this week. You guys uh, remember Faraday Future, the company behind the FF91, the apparent Model S killer that wouldn't launch with less than an exorbitant 1,000 horsepower. Uh, Yeah, they're still around, and as a refresher, this is an American company funded by the guy behind China's Netflix equivalent, but which recently had a 45% stake in it bought by Evergrande Health Industry Group because... Electric cars and healthcare are just such a perfect fit or something. Um, Well, go figure that the American company isn't very American anymore, as the firm announced that the headquarters had been moved to China this week, where five R&D and production facilities will be built over the next decade. They're promising an annual production capacity of 5 million vehicles within 10 years across both entry-level and premium segments uh, to be shipped across the world. Uh, This from a company that has yet to show a single finished example of their first car. Meanwhile, Tesla, which makes real cars, is uh, uh, settling in at a tenth of that production capacity. So, sure, 5 million. Yeah, right. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. While most Volkswagen diesel owners are probably decent human beings who reluctantly handed over their cheating cars for the good of humanity since they did really increase cancer risks, um, there are apparently a bunch of Germans who couldn't really care about the state of your lungs and who've kept their cheating diesel cars long after the fix has been available for their vehicles. Uh, Germany is going to start exercising some tough love with these jerks, though, effectively giving them the automotive time out by refusing to renew their registrations for vehicles that have not had their cheating software fixed. The German Motor Vehicle Authority says only about 5% of Volkswagen TDIs have yet to be fixed, 
but it's still enough that these drivers aren't going to uh, be able to fly under the radar anymore. I think it's totally fair to say, uh, I've been too busy to take care of something, but in two years, everyone has some free time, and unless you're Elon Musk, I guess. Uh, while the German government cracks down on some German cars, the South Korean government is cracking down uh, also on some German cars, uh, namely BMWs, because apparently 28 new BIMers have caught fire in the country in the first half of this year, which, yes, seems like a lot. Uh, but the country is using this as an excuse to ban 20,000 BMWs from the roads until their engines have been fixed under a recall. BMW of South, South Korea is scrambling to re, uh, issue a recall and organize a fix for about 106,000 diesel-powered cars, including the 520D, which accounts for about 20 of the fires alone. Um, as, a couple of, as of a couple of weeks ago, engineers still weren't sure what was causing the problem, but the government's action has really lit a fire under them to identify and fix the issues. And yes, that was a pun. Uh, speaking of those uh, cheating Volkswagen diesels, though, VW has kicked off its Electric for All advertising campaign in the U.S., which is part of the $45 million public awareness campaign mandated by the settlement against the company for violating clean air rules. Uh, you might expect that an ad paid for by Volkswagen would uh, prominently feature Volkswagen vehicles. But instead, the star here is a Chevy Bolt, with the next most prominent being a Hyundai Ioniq. The Honda Clarity, BMW i3, Nissan Leaf are all featured, as is, finally, the Volkswagen e-Golf. The company says that the ad is meant to be brand neutral and seeks only to advance the public perception of electric vehicles rather than of VW's electric vehicles, which is very fair of them. That said, it's rare for a company to be punished by effectively having to help sell other companies' vehicles. Meanwhile, over in Sweden, the automotive market is also heating up, and by that I mean it's because dozens of vehicles were set on fire this week by masked youths who were apparently unsatisfied with the heat of the Swedish summertime. Uh, the coordinated attacks on vehicles took place across several cities uh, in the country, prompting a mature response from the prime minister who asked, and I quote, What the heck are you doing? Uh, according to several outlets, the perpetrators were immigrants protesting recent anti-immigration rhetoric, which seems like a strange way to protest. Uh, maybe they hadn't heard that old saying, you catch more flies with honey than you do with Molotov cocktails hurled at motor vehicles belonging to private citizens who likely have nothing to do with the vitriol being targeted at an influx of immigration to previously homogeneous cultures. I don't know, maybe that one doesn't translate to Swedish or something. Uh, while South Korea forces BMW to recall 106,000 vehicles, Subaru is forcing themselves to recall just 293 2019 Ascent models because the robot in charge of welding the SUV's B-pillar started hanging out with the wrong crowd, came in late smelling of booze and weed, and decided that doing a shitty job of welding a fairly important structural component wasn't really required. Um... Turns out, for safety, it absolutely is required, so the company is recalling fewer than 300 vehicles produced in an eight-day window in July when the robot was on its bender. Only nine of those cars have been sold to actual consumers, and instead of going without their car while repairs are being made, customers are simply being handed the keys to a brand new vehicle instead. Uh, Subaru says that the welds were so critical and so deep within the car that repairing them didn't make sense. 
This from a company that decided that including 19 freaking cup holders in an eight-passenger car did make sense. Go figure. Um, while a hundred or so drivers in Sweden will be in need of rental cars for a while, uh, they might want to check out Hertz, which is celebrating their hundredth anniversary of being a company, uh, which is legitimately an achievement. Um, who knew rental cars had been around since before the Dixie Flyer? Uh, in any case, while the poor Swedes don't get this, we Americans will have the opportunity to rent one of a hundred Corvette Z06 models, which are painted in the company's black and yellow colors and fitted with a bunch of obnoxious Hertz logos, which makes it really hard uh, to convince the cougars at the wineries that it is indeed your Corvette. Uh, who knows, though, the 650 horsepower and same amount of foot-pounds of torque may compel you to forego chasing tail uh, in favor of chasing down some twisty roads or stoplight drag races, but for only 75 miles, because thereafter you'll have to pay 75 cents per mile, as well as need to return it with a full tank of gas, which, with a supercharger, is going to go pretty quickly. You can get these in a number of major cities across the country, not including St. Louis, for $199 per day, without taxes, or fees, or the optional insurance, or a care package, or navigation, or prepay for gas, or a spare set of keys, or whatever the hell they're trying to upsell you with next. While you may still be waiting for a while for Elon Musk to personally deliver your Model 3, there's an exciting new opportunity to buy some other electric vehicles that are a little more interesting and a lot less practical. Uh, since Formula E will be debuting all-new cars when racing begins in December of this year, the old cars are, are not needed anymore, so the racing body will be selling off the 40 old model electric racers uh, for prices roughly between two hundred dollars and $300,000, depending on how prestigious the car is. Um, yes, that's a lot more than your entry-level $35,000 people electric car, but it's so incredibly much cooler to have an electric race car. Um, but we all know where these are going to be. They're going to be purchased by rich jackasses who probably won't even drive them and will strip out the battery cells and mount them on the walls of their homes in Malibu because apparently rich people have no taste but really, really strong walls. Um, in other racing news, after 17 years behind the wheel, Fernando Alonso is retiring from Formula One, which definitely, totally did not have anything to do with him driving for McLaren, who consistently failed to field a reliable, competitive car for him that frequently incurs engine failure. Um, already this season, he's splitting his time uh, between McLaren and the Toyota team at the World Endurance Championship, and speculation is rife that he'll join IndyCar. He's only 37 and has won Formula One championship twice uh, and is regarded as one of the best F1 drivers in the history of the sport. So it's sad to see him go, but it'd be like if Gordon Ramsay were forced to by contract to work at Burger King. You know, it's just not going to last that long. Um, Longtime listeners and friends will know that uh, my full-time job is in marketing. So I'm no stranger to firing up the old hype machine or uh, being able to put a positive spin on virtually anything. Uh, but there are some things that even I uh, never understand. And one of those is the unrelenting pursuit of racetrack lap times and lap records being recorded by cars that will never, ever, ever be driven on racetracks. Which brings us to Porsche, uh, makers of many vehicles that are plenty capable of performing admirably on racetracks. 
They announced this week that they had set six lap records um, at FIA certified racing circuits. Uh, the qualification here is that they set the records with the four-door Panamera Turbo SE Hybrid and that the records are all for the fastest luxury four-door hybrid sedan. The obvious question here is who gives a shit? And I really honestly can't figure it out. What buyers are out there cross-shopping the Panamera with the Mercedes-AMG GT53 four-door or the Tesla Model S or a BMW 750 and are all like, well, the others are nice, but the Mercedes only held five track records for fastest hybrid four-door production sedan. So I guess we should probably go with the Porsche because that will be super relevant when we're parking it at the fancy outlet mall or in the Starbucks drive-thru. <sighs> um, a few years ago, Anheuser-Busch debuted their Bottoms Up beer service at uh, Cardinals games here, which I then tried because it was a fun novelty that the company said was meant to cut down on the head in beers and make for a more even pour, which uh, nobody gives a shit about with Bud Light. Uh, sure, guys. Anyway, this concept, a magnet at the bottom of the glass that's popped up by a filler, which then squirts the drink into the glass, has found its way into the automotive community via a patent application by BMW. Uh, before you get any ideas that this is going to only make your Diet Coke addiction more accessible in your 335i, remember that BMW owns Rolls-Royce, and that the patent specifically featured a champagne flute in the drawings, so it's definitely meant for the same types of people who are being driven around Santa Barbara by Jeeves while filthy hourly workers mount their new Formula E car on their walls because they didn't want to interact with the help. Uh, now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my whip with my head. Again this week, new cars were a bit hard to come by, but uh, one of the few is less of a new car and more of a new old car. Uh, I'm talking about the Goldfinger DB5, an Aston Martin created specifically for the James Bond film that was kitted out with a bunch of fun spy features like revolving number plates, bulletproof glass, homing device and tracker, smokescreen, oil slick, machine guns, and ejector seat. Well, Aston Martin is making a limited run of 25 of these DB5 movie cars in the same factory that the original was built in, and built to the same spec, with some small improvements being made for reliability, as you would hope. Um, each will cost about $3.5 million before taxes, which will be high, and we're not exactly sure what specific gadgets will be included from the movie car because smoke screens, oil slicks, and ejector seats seem like they might violate a few laws, uh, not to mention machine guns. Um, so get your orders in now if you're interested because these things will probably sell out quick, even at prices beyond comprehension for most of us peasants. Um, if a new version of an old car sounds like fun, but you're not a successful hedge fund manager or tech bro, the Italians have something up their sleeve for you. Um, if you don't remember the BMW Isetta, it was a tiny two-seat car with the engine under the bench seat and with only one door that happened to be the entire front of the car, which opened wide like a carnival ride in sort of a clamshell fashion to let the driver and passenger out simultaneously. Well, there's a new version of essentially that, except it's electric and Italian, but still cute as hell. 
It's called the Microlino, and it's powered by either an 8 or a 14.4 kilowatt hour battery that will go 78 or 20, 125 miles, respectively. Power is uh, meager. Uh, it has a strangely unbalanced 20 horsepower and 81 pound-feet of torque, and is limited to a top speed of just 56 but you'll only have to wait four hours for it to charge fully at a home outlet, or a Type 2 connector will charge it in just an hour and cost you apparently just £1.50 to fully charge. It's not just cheap to charge, it's cheap to buy, too, costing just around $13,600. It's no wonder the company has received more than 7,000 orders for the thing, which it hopes to get into production this year, ramping up to around 2,000 vehicles per year by the end of 2019. While Spartan, uh, a utilitarian, and it's definitely a city car, I really appreciate the design and function of this thing, though I can't say I'd want to get into a crash with it. Um, probably because of that, I very much doubt we will ever see these things popping up on western shores. Um, so last week, Ferrari couldn't be bothered to seek the McQueen family's approval to slap Steve's name on a Ferrari California, a uh, brown one, uh, but this week uh, comes another car bearing the actor's name. It's the Ford Mustang Bullet Steve, Queen, Steve McQueen Edition, which is a mouthful and also a collaboration between Galpin Autosports, a dealership group, Steeda, a Mustang tuning company, and McQueen Racing. Uh, true to the classic Bullet Mustang, it's a gorgeous deep green and features gunmetal five-spoke wheels. Uh, granted, these are 20 inches in diameter. Uh, power has been improved slightly, too, and uh, by slightly, I mean this thing puts out a tire-shredding 775 horsepower when it's equipped with the optional Whipple supercharger. Uh, unlike most new performance cars, this has a six-speed manual transmission, and the suspension has also been revised to support the power it's putting down. Only 300 will be produced at a cost of around $68,000, which is not remotely cheap, but definitely cheaper than a slightly revised 1963 Aston Martin with some kitschy gimmicks. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, so finally, I wanted to leave you guys with uh, a reminder. Um, I was lucky enough this last fall to fly to Amsterdam to shoot photos for the Junior Chamber International World Congress. One of the keynote speakers there was Kofi Annan, whose wise, uh, sort of jovial demeanor was a, a real pleasure to experience. His passing this week w was a big loss uh, because he's just such a, such an inspirational guy uh, to listen to and to talk to. Uh, one of my favorite quotes of, of his is this, uh, to, li to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go and why you want to get there. Despite the fact that I do okay for myself and I'm asked to go do things like shoot photos of a former UN Secretary General, I'm one of those people who is constantly struck by imposter syndrome, so self-confidence is sometimes a little hard to come by. Uh, but being able to step back and, and see where I am and figure out where I want to be and assess what I'm doing to get there helps me beat back those demons and build myself up enough to, to push on in my chosen field. So the reminder is that life is short, and, and sometimes much too short, especially for great people like Mr. Anon and for Aretha Franklin, another tremendously influential person we lost this week. So be confident in yourself. Know who you are and, and what you stand for, and go out and get to where you want to be. Time will not wait for you to do it. 
So thank you for listening, and uh, uh, thanks as always to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I'm going to leave you this week with the sound of the twin-turbo 2.9-liter V8 of the Ferrari F40, uh, which was spotted this week driving around Monaco. But this is no normal F40. This car has had its stock exhaust swapped with a straight-pipe tubey exhaust because who really needs eardrums anyway? Here, friends, is your moment of zen.